All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. There's the status quo, and then there are the game changers. They write books and make films about game changers, people who put a dent in the universe. Are you one of them? This series explains everything you need to know to be a game changer and how to win at the game of business and life. Today's episode is made possible by Think Next, Act Now, a movement that trains and mentors tomorrow's entrepreneur today. And now, here are your hosts, Bill Woodich and Todd Schnick. All right, welcome back to the show about how to become a game changer. Understanding that business and life is a game and we have to learn how to play it well and play to win. Welcome to episode four, where we're going to discuss becoming the CEO of your life. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Bill Woodich. Good morning, my friend. This is going to be a fun conversation. We're going to have a blast, Todd. Let's rock. Before we get into becoming the CEO of your life, however, uh, take a few quick seconds. Uh, what does it actually mean to be a game changer, and why do we even have to have these series of conversations? Well, to be a game changer means you want responsibility and accountability at a, at a point in life where you can make a difference. And I think that point has to be every day, in every way. You have to look to make a difference, and you have to be that difference. You have to become that difference. You know, people talk about, I want to make a difference. To be a game changer means that you are influencing in some way. You are dictating the terms and influencing the result in this game of life because you're showing up prepared, ready to play, and understanding that wins and losses are subject only to definition They're not going to be fatal. They're not going to be final. We have to always move forward. So what do you actually mean by becoming the CEO of your life? Well, you know, the the ultimate responsibility, the primary responsibility of a CEO is to create shareholder value. As the CEO of your life, think about it this way. If you're not, if you're not in control of your life, then who is? If you're not going to take responsibility for your life, then who are you giving it to? You are responsible. You are the CEO of your life. It's time to call a board meeting. Get your stuff together and find out how you create better value if you're not for yourself. And value comes in different ways. Value is the the nutrition you feed your body, that body that has to be able to cash the checks that your mind writes. Your mind has to be on that quest. You have to continually look for new ways to grow. You have to be able to deal with both your allies and your adversaries. You have to be able to think and do. You have to be able to have a spiritual overarching belief that there's something greater, something greater than you. There has to be something that has value to you beyond the monetary. And you also have to be able to take care of the emotional part, the ability to extend empathy, which is the key in life. A key is to be able to feel and have empathy for others before you can feel for yourself. And I think you have to be able to take care of yourself as the CEO of your life by building those pillars of value, the physical, spiritual, the intellectual, the emotional, and how is what's most important. And that's that passion. That's the purpose. That's the chemistry that ensues from being engaged in the game of life. Now, if I had to guess, and I'm thinking about the people that I've observed over my time in in business, most people would, would think, hey, you have to be the CEO of your life. They would say, well, yeah, obviously I am, right? I wake up in the morning, I get dressed, I eat some breakfast, I put on clothes, I go to the work, I do my job, I come home and I have dinner and I, uh, I pay some bills. I mean, I, am I not in charge of my life? I mean, I, I, what you just said is, is I think, almost the polar opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Well, what's your personal mission statement? What do you have as a personal mission statement? Because to me, it sounds like you're giving up or abrogating duties in life. You're just kind of trying to exist and that's not living. So I draw a big line down the middle of existing and living. You know, there are people who are employed. There are people that are employers. 
I think the people that are employers are the ones that are CEOs of their life. And you can be employed and be the CEO of your life, or you can just give up responsibility to think. You don't have to think. Someone's going to always tell you what to do. Are you the CEO of your life? I don't think so. Someone's going to tell you to do this, do that, show up, not do this, or you're going to decide just not to show up in life. You're probably a CEO that's going to be fired. So right. that's what I think. Well, I, look, thinking about the series so far, I mean, you, in my view, hearing what you just said, you can't embrace the always forward philosophy. You can't decide how you're going to become, how you're going to define being a game changer and figuring out what that is. Certainly not going to be a good thinker and doer if you're not operating out of this context, right? You have to operate from that context. That's a mindset because the mindset has to start with this. No excuses. And there's that bullshit meter inside of us that we want to kid ourselves. We want to live in denial and delusion, say we're in charge of our life. You got to lose excuses, first of all, and you got to want to be accountable. And those are things I think people fear. It's always someone else to blame for something. Someone else has done this to us. So they put us in this condition. We can't overcome the condition. We won't be able to overcome the condition. It's too far. It's too great. That's not being the CEO of your life. CEO of your life is going to find a way or make a way to get rid of those conditions, break through those invisible barriers, take ownership, take responsibility, and make things happen in life because you're creating value for yourself, not only for yourself, for your loved ones, for others. That's perpetuation. The other job of a CEO is to perpetuate the company. How are you perpetuating yourself in the best form of you possible to be able to enjoy life? How? Ask yourself those questions, how? And if you're not, why not? Well, you sure as heck can't create value for an organization if you're not creating value for yourself first, right? I mean, that's that's a big weakness for a lot of people is that we don't think about and take care of ourselves first because only then can we serve others. I was at a horse track one day, well, it was quite a while ago, and I was with a client and the client's wife looked over and said, you know what you have to do? She said, you spend all your time with clients doing all these things, all these dinners, all these different events. You have to take time for your best client. And I said, well, that would be you, right? She said, no, yourself. You have to find and make. You're not always going to find it. And I understand that the demands of life and there's children and there's different things. There's always something we have to get to next. You know, we have to show up at some place, just do something. But we have to actually try to carve out the time. We actually actually have to make a time where we can just be with ourselves, with our thoughts, put down those damn phones and sit down and just be, be, think, and create. It works. It works. Thinking about this idea of becoming the CEO of your life, I've heard you say this, uh, you can accept or reject this idea, but you cannot escape the truism. You can't, you can't get away from the truism of it because you're going to be in charge of your life. You, could, you, might, you might be a crappy CEO or you might be a great one, but you can't escape it. You might want to reject the idea that you are and you might want to say, no, there's something else in charge of me. I'm not in charge of me. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is it's up to you. What you take into your body, what you take into your mind will feed what you become and what you are. So you have the power, you have the responsibility. I have a dozen thoughts on that, just that phrase right there. I think people are afraid of that power. I think they know that they have the ability to take charge and, and make things happen, but they're afraid of that power. And I think some people are scared of that responsibility. Any comments? I could just underline yours because that was, <laughs> that was perfect. I think that was beautiful. I was, re I was about ready to say that and you just were just taken off of that. You know, and let's, let's just play a game. Why do you think they're afraid of the power? I think, you know, to, in my estimation, Todd, I think they're afraid of the power because they're afraid of the mistakes that could come with the power. And then they're going to have to live with the mistakes. And then they have to whip themselves and beat themselves up because they made mistakes. And then naysayers are jumping on top of them. So what's happened in the instinct part of our mind, in our brain, is that we don't like to be ridiculed. You know, people fear two things, loss and they fear change. Mention the word change to someone in your group and see people look shut down and close off. Game changers light up on that one. And we fear loss, a loss of self-esteem. You know, we don't want to be exposed out there as something less than. So we're afraid to have that power. 
You know, because the power means that we're responsible. And if we're responsible, that means it's up to us. And oh no, what if it fails? That was us and we can't take the hit. That's where we have to develop that ability to be resilient and understand, yeah, we want that ball for the last shot. You know, not everyone does, but the game changers want the ball like Michael Jordan did on that last shot. There's a difference right there. Mm -hmm. Well, there's another good example of a game changer and embracing all the things we've been talking about in this series. Another common theme that we've talked about through the duration of the series is this idea of constant learning and continual growth. And a CEO of, of your life is going to ensure that you're doing that. Well, I look at life this way. We can be very colloquial, parochial, or very limited in our thought, and that will limit our ability to enjoy and experience the world. If we always stay in the same thought pattern as a CEO, we're always going to make the same decisions. We're looking from the same box of decisions. And sometimes those that arsenal of decision-making possibility is not the best arsenal to solve today's problems. Today's problems are unique, they're complex, they're different, and they're always coming at us at the force of light. So I think we need to be able to expand our awareness of what's actually happening, awareness, what's happening, and then build a toolkit to be able to respond and be able to maybe get out in front of where we can get out in front of some things before they ever become a problem. But it all comes from expanding that box of thought, and that comes from the big L word, and that is learning. All right. Bill and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. Think Next, Act Now is an entrepreneurial movement. It is a teaching platform, a coaching forum that emphasizes action. And the link between thought and action makes a difference in the outcome you determine or the result that's determined for you. When you see, seize, and create opportunity for yourself, you take a big step toward becoming recession-proof and changing your life. If you are determined to make a change in your life, Think Next, Act Now will provide the essential toolkit to move your life forward. Only realized potential cashes the check of reality. Now is the time to realize your potential. Think Next, Act Now, and go always forward. To learn more, go to BillWoodich.com. That's BillWoodich.com. All right, Todd Schnick back with Bill Woodich. So thinking about the learning side of this thing uh, during the break there, curious if, uh, if you have an example of how that's impacted you. Well, I think a curious mind is a mind that's always learning. So I think a learning uh, disposition is the product of a curious mind. And a curious mind is one that asks why and then finds a way. You know, that we, they've found the, that if, in studies that if you ask, how can I do this? How can I do this? Instead of all the mantra and all the rah-rah stuff of motivational speaking, how can I find this? Your brain will actually find a way and go back to other things that you've done like that to find a way to do something. To me, when I was at Purdue University, I, I had to learn how to learn. And I didn't know any words that were over you know, three letters and I, I really couldn't pronounce them. But as I started to expand my learning, I started to go into different areas, history, started to learn things about science. And I always became a curious learner in very, in very disciplines through the rest of my life. It enabled me to connect with interest with more people. So I would meet a person who had an interest in something, and maybe I had read something about it. I could bring up the conversation and let them talk about what they were passionate about. So I was able to connect in my activity, which ruled my success in more numbers, more people with people of varied interests, because my interests were always growing through constant learning. Yeah, I know. That's powerful stuff. But 
It's not learning and then moving on. It's continual growth, right? And this process never ends. A responsible CEO of, of your own life understands that that is a never-ending process, right? And that would be one that you celebrate, too. Let's go deep on this one. Socrates, who was the wisest man in the land at the time, they said, you know everything. He said, you know, I know that I don't know. And I think that's liberating. Because when I say we're in a box, we think we know certain things. And we do, we do have a different opinion on certain things. And we are more informed and uh, maybe than others in certain ways. But I think that if we stop and we don't learn from others and we don't think about the possibilities that could expand beyond what we think we know, we're always going to be limited by what we think we know. Game changers appreciate when they discover something they don't know and then they take action to actually figure it out and learn, right? I mean, that's the difference. The joy is in both the discovery and its successful application. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Let's shift now. You talked about empathy at the top half of this segment. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's so important. But I think the service mindset here, being in the service of others, that, that's a critical piece to this too, yes? That's abundance. And I think we can look at life in one of two ways. Abundance, there's enough for everybody. We can all grow. We can all grow and share. Or scarcity. Um, I got to have this and, and you can't have that, Todd. So I think the abundance life for me is a wholesome way of living. It gets rid of that venom inside that has to you know, you have to conquer someone, you have to annihilate someone else to win. No, I think there's enough for all of us. And I, I've always been someone who's shared. It, it's come from my days in the playing fields of Western Pennsylvania playing football. I always wanted people to do uh, as well as they could. And if their best was better than mine, I never wanted them to pull a hamstring or pop or tear an Achilles. It just wasn't me. So I think that's part of a mindset of a, of a game changer. There's enough for all of us. And you know, we're not going to be for everyone. There's not everyone's going to buy from us. Not everyone's going to be moved from us. Not everyone's going to go out with us. You know, and we, is there a tendency to take that personal? Yes. But we have to understand that it's not personal to a certain degree because there's people doing things for their reasons, not ours. Well, rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, we've talked about, I mean, the game changers, uh, I mean, talking about your abundance versus scarcity idea here. I mean, game changers believe in the abundance. We can all win. And we talked about the top top of the series. This doesn't have to be winners versus losers thing. This can be, we can all win. We can all advance. We can all, and talking about learning. A good CEO of an organization is, is, is helping his, his people learn and help them understand that and empower them and then give them the freedom to do that. Now, they also want them to take action too. And so that's where the think and do comes into play. That's such good stuff. That, that's so hard for people to understand because they think they have to be focused on what's mine. And then thinking also about learning is, is there are people that are afraid to admit I don't know something and then they they either fake it or they just bury their head in the sand and I think it's uh, it's it's sad that in our business culture that that it's frowned upon to, to be someone who doesn't know everything I, I think it ought to be celebrated when someone says I don't know that I want to learn help me learn right I think it's some of the most powerful words there are is I don't know and I think that sometimes we, we tend to prevaricate or maybe say some untruths or stretch truths because we think we have an answer. We just make up an answer. We're just pulling a swag. You know, it's just a stupid, wild-ass guess. And I think that we have, that's where we lose credibility when we're wrong. So I think it's empowering to say, I don't know, and to learn from being able to say, I don't know. And you know, what you talked about is it's sad because people look at what's in it for me first. And that's the only way as humans, it's human nature to say that we're looking at life through the lens of ourselves. We can't look at it through anyone else's lens. So it always is about us first, no matter how empathetic we are, no matter how much we think we're sharing or how much we're contributing. It really, we have to do it through our own vested self-interest. 
There's an interest in us sharing. There's an interest we have, and we get a bounce from that, or we wouldn't do it. So everything has to come from that nature. We have to understand our nature and understand that as we share, as we share, we all grow. We collaborate, we grow, we flourish together. No man, John Dunn said, I know this because it was on a test for an Ivy League school that I didn't get into. And no man is an island. And the, the test had to, you had to write out what he meant. No, I didn't know about that. But he said, no man's an island. We need to cooperate. We need to collaborate. There's none of us that go through this life alone. So yeah, saying I don't know is, is important. But what a game changer does is say, comma, but show me where I can learn. Yes. And most of us aren't saying that. So oh, I don't yes. know. And then we're off the hook. I don't have any responsibility. Yes. Key word, show. Show me and then let me. Because showing someone is a powerful way of learning, but the most powerful way is to actually have them do it. So when they ask to be shown, that's, you know, not tell. Don't tell them what to do. Show them, work with them, and then let them do it. And as an effective CEO, you're going to get some blood on the carpet. You got to understand that there's going to be some collateral damage from encouraging people to take some risks. And you got to be able to accept those errors that are errors of omission. They forgot, they didn't know, they didn't know a way, rather than commission, there was an intent. So there's a difference there, and you're going to deal with that. That's how you build a game changer. Yep, absolutely. You've said you have to beware of the ego. What do you mean by that? Well, I think ego can be our biggest champion and adversary. Ego is neutral. So people think of ego, they think, hey, I'm always looking in the mirror. And that could be true. That's really a narcissist. But our ego can be, can be something that champions our cause, or it can be something that works against us. Here's ego at work. What you represent to others, uh, uh, that's what you want them to believe you are. Here's my card. Here's my title. Here's my bank account. Here's my cars. Here's, here's what, all the eyes. Every time you hear an eye, it's about the ego. So the ego is uh, protecting what's inside the self. The true self is not the ego, but it's what we represent to society. So I think ego can be a huge advantage for us when we have a certain level of pride in our work, a certain level of pride in our performance, manageable pride, a certain level of self-respect that we keep. And we want society to know who we are and what we represent when it is closely aligned to who we really are inside. Ego can be a the pitfall. It can be the absolute fabric-changing, culture-shifting dynamic that a fearful CEO brings into a company. That's where ego becomes a problem. What are the four eyes? Well, the four eyes are a CEO, and let's picture this. Picture a CEO in a glass office and employees, not coworkers, because a fearful CEO one that is driven by four eyes, is one that has employees who work for him. He doesn't work for them. The enlightened CEO, the more servant CEO, is the one that understands there are co-workers and he works for them. But that's another topic. But that CEO believes that he or she is the individual that's responsible for the success of the enterprise. So they're an individual. That's one eye. And then if someone questions their authority or even questions them on any decision, they become very intractable. Unable to move. So that's the second eye. They're intractable. They're, they're entrenched in their thinking. They can't because it would show as an individual they were less than. So then they become intransigent. They'll actually start to fight. So they'll start to argue. So then people are afraid to come to them with ideas because here's an individual who thinks that they're the, in the reason of the exercise, they're very unable to be moved, intractable. Then they even fight. They're intransigent because they think of what? They think they're invaluable. That's the fourth eye. So when a CEO spreads fear by acting as an individual that's intransigent, that's intractable, that is the, the individual and they believe they're invincible, you have a company that has lost both hearts and minds 
the bodies are uh, inconsequential at that point because you've already lost the heart of your company. Well, that makes all the sense in the world when you understand how a CEO manages an organization. Can you apply the four eyes to yourself? Oh, yeah. As, uh, I can tell you I made every one of those mistakes <laughs> because you have to be, when you have to be right right now, you usually make a bad mistake. So people would come to my office and ask me something and I wanted to be the individual responsible for the success. And I had to have an answer right right now. And I lost a lot of money having to be right right now. So I knew that was that was one way not to do it. The other way was this. I, I had a lot of people that would tell me yes. And I thought that, man, I'm a lot better looking and, and a lot a lot faster than I ever thought I was. Uh, no, not really. It was just because I had sycophants telling me what I wanted to hear. You know, Bill, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So I needed what we talked about in previous in a previous series. I needed some naysayers, some perspective. You know, you don't want contrarians to it to the point where they're just always going to say no when something's really, you know, there's a yes involved. But you want people that can give you perspective. So you have to be able, you have to be able to encourage expression and thought. So talk of me and thinking about ego, what's the difference between confidence and arrogance? We talked about confidence and how important that is, but Shed some light on that for me. Well, I think ego with talent is confidence, and I think that ego without talent is arrogance. And I think arrogance is the, the Greek word is hubris, and it's usually accompanied by a fall because nemesis shows up when you're arrogant. So the boisterous, the arrogant, they're usually going to get their comeuppance out there somewhere. And I think that, that people will feel confidence when you, and competence when you have a, a, an ego that can support and can bring substance to the style behind it. I think that's the key. You know, the arrogant person is the person that's an empty ship. They ain't got nothing. They got nothing, man. All they're doing is they're going out there saying there's something, saying they're this, and they're building up all their insecurities. Usually the bigger the insecurity, the bigger the ego, because you don't want to be seen as the emperor or empress with no clothes. And that's what these people are who are in fear, who live as an individual, who live as and think they have to be invincible, who are very intransigent and will fight because they want to spread that fear. They want to limit their ability or the ability for others to see that they really have no substance, no clothes. Yeah, the, the arrogant ego is uh, definitely the four eyes, no doubt about that. So, all right, someone listening to this who now realizes, all right, maybe I thought I was in control of my destiny. I realize now that I'm not, and I need to become the CEO of my life. Where in the heck do I start? How do I begin to, uh, apart from listening to the series and understanding the always forward mindset and all that, how do I begin to, to become that CEO of my life? And I, I guess that's a never-ending process too, right? Aristotle is quoted as saying the, mo- the first and foremost obstacle is uh, victory over the self. You know, the hardest victory is over the self. We have to be able to look in the mirror. This is the hardest part. We have to be- actually be able to look in the mirror. And as much as we can as humans, as much as we can, to actually gain some kind of perspective on our denials and our delusions. Is this what we're doing or is this what we're doing? Is this the outcome? Am I kidding myself? Am I actually making forward progress in life? Am I doing the work? What is the work? Do I have to do more? Am I doing the right kind of work? Is there something else that would be more, more effective? Do I really want this? Am I saying I want it? Does somebody else want this for me? Is this how I move forward in life? Uh, or is this how I move forward in life? That, I think, what reflects back in that mirror and what reflects back in the dark, in your thoughts, that's the key to follow first before you ever take on the mantle of CEO of your life. And remember the scary thing. CEO of your life, you're in charge you're in charge. Now, some people, and I love it, I wouldn't have it any other way. If it's to be, it's up to me. If I fail, man, I fail, but I'll get back up again swinging. I love that stuff. Some people scares the hell out of them. Is there a daily exercise you should go through? I mean, you just ask a series of questions. I mean, we talk about self-awareness as being such an important part of, of success and victory over self, as you were just alluding to. I mean, there ought to be a daily reflection on some of these things, right? We talked, you're talking a lot in another episode about the how to think deliberately, and that's all part of this, right? 
Now, there's two times when thoughts come to me, they coalesce uh, and they start popping around in my head as, as, as something I must do. One's in the shower. I can't take a tape recorder in there and tape myself, okay? That could be kind of nasty. Uh, the other thing is when I'm driving. So I think the time for us to get some time to reflect is either when we're driving, if we're not always you know, disconnected by listening to certain things, we actually have some quiet time. We can actually feel this. And I, I would, I'm very reluctant to give an all-encompassing bubble kind of one-size-fits-all panacea to anything. But I will say this. I think most, if not all of us, can feel this gnawing, gnawing in our gut when we're in the wrong direction on something. When we're kidding ourselves, now, I think we feel that gnaw. I think it's the ones that are able to actually pay attention to that and do something about it that have the resolve. That's part of your exercise. When you're driving, when you're alone, when you have some time alone, can you be alone, first of all, without any noise, without any clutter? You feel something in your gut? Where's it taking you? Follow that voice. I think that's the exercise. Just, I'm constantly aware when I'm kidding myself, when I'm not. And it's a constant struggle. It's, it's, it's a constant struggle. Now, we've talked about instinct and how most of us don't listen to it. So that's what you're talking about here. Yeah. All this stuff, all is, is interconnected. So, all right. Well, good stuff. Well, we're out of time for today, Bill. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have any questions on how to become a game changer? Bill Woodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H. Dot com. Bill Woodich dot com. All right. Tune in next week for the next episode where we're going to talk about owning the present. When I figured out how to do this, it changed everything for me. So on behalf of my colleague, Bill Woodich, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week on Be a Game Changer. So until then, remember, always forward. <laughs>